morning, God. We think it is so fun to praise you, God. And we just thank you, God, that you are a God that created music. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God that created dance. And we just want to use those things to praise you, Father God. You are awesome. We love you. And we just pray, God, we pray over uh, Frank and his message. We pray over the, the, the meditations of our heart. Uh, what's, what's going on in our heart? What's going on in our minds, Father? We pray that it would be pleasing to you, God. Draw us closer into your presence. Make us more like your son, Jesus, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you, your mercies are new every morning. So when we mess up, when we fall, when we sin, you're right there to pick us back up. And we thank you, Lord, for the, for the forgiveness, for the blood of your son, Jesus, that washes us white as snow. There's no better feeling than knowing that we are redeemed. We love you, Father God. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Tim. That was awesome. want to let you know, I don't know if any of you were watching over there. I was like dancing my heart out. I was dapping. I was doing the Gumby. I was roboting, breakdancing. It was all inside, but uh, it was happening, brother. Relationships start. Relationships thrive. Relationships plateau. And relationships end. That's the cycle that uh, we've all experienced in some way, shape, or form, uh, when we're, whether we're talking about childhood friendships to high school BFFs to uh, college roommates and coworkers, dating relationships and breakups too, even marriages and divorce. Relationships start, relationships thrive, relationships plateau, and relationships end. And over the course of the past four weeks as a church, we have been in the midst of this series on relationships. And the way we've chosen to do it as a church is to approach this idea from a rather unique perspective. To be able to look at and talk about relationships through the lens of singleness. That's not how most churches want to talk about relationships. To, uh, in most Christian conversations, in most Christian sermons, when we start talking about this issue of relationships, oftentimes singles start to tune out because it's not for us. Uh, marriage is the goal. Marriage is the ultimate relationship status. And so even if we're talking about singles, it's an attempt to get them to that place where they can get married. But as we've uncovered over the course of the series, maybe that idea is wrong. This idea that marriage is the ultimate relationship status might not be be true. And so week one, we started off with this question, right? Why did God create man alone if it is not good for man to be alone? And the conclusion we came to isn't that God made a mistake. It isn't that God didn't have forethought. It wasn't that God wasn't powerful enough to create Adam and Eve at the same time, but that there was a purpose. <coughs> Specifically, that God wanted to instill four values in Adam before he gave him relationship. And that there's, as singles, in our season of singleness, those are lessons we should take on and learn as well. Your place. What does God want to teach you right where you are? Place before relationship. God's provision. Right? Do I look to God? Will I look to God first to provide all of my needs. And if I learn that, then sometime down the road, I'm not going to have to look to my parents or look to my spouse. 
provision before relationship, your purpose. What has God given you to tend and to watch over? Because if in your season of singleness you don't figure this out, then you will walk into marriage and every other relationship you have with that. If I don't know during my singleness, I'm going to bring that I don't know into every other relationship that comes. And when I do get married, I will bring that I don't know into marriage as well. And that I don't know will create a burden placed upon that marriage that marriage was never designed to bear. Purpose before relationship. And then finally, the idea of boundaries. If you are single, have you learned in this season of singleness and freedom to self-limit? Because if you have, then every relationship you have that follows will be blessed. Your place, God's provision, purpose, and boundaries. In week two, we asked another question. We said, if marriage is the preferred status, then why is it temporary? Because upon Jesus' return, the kingdom is not going to consist of a whole bunch of married couples everywhere, everyone paired up. That's not how the kingdom is going to look, not according to Jesus anyway. Instead, it's going to be singles living in close, intimate relationship with one another under Jesus Christ. That that's more of an accurate picture of what the kingdom will look like upon Jesus' return. And what the conclusion we came to is that marriage is designed in this age, to be that picture of Christ's relationship with the church, a picture that will no longer be necessary after his return. But singleness, singleness is designed to be that season where we pursue the Lord single-mindedly and wholeheartedly. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. And that pursuit should be eternal. Last week, we finally became Facebook official, and uh, we talked about how Christians have ruined dating, right? We have taken this fun, this exciting, this dynamic and romantic time, and we've turned it into scare stories and rules. And instead of turning to scare stories and rules, maybe as a church we should reconsider how we talk about and think about and present dating to our young people, right? And instead, maybe instead we should be emphasizing the goal of dating, which we shared last week, is as a bridge where we evaluate for a time whether or not we want to spend the rest of our lives with this person in covenant relationship. So we should focus on teaching our young people the goal of dating and then to instill in them right values. Because right values, if owned, will typically lead to right decisions. It's harder though, right? Because you try and instill right values, but you have to trust the decisions they're going to make but then again, as we came to you last week, isn't that better, right? What are we going to choose as a church? Are we going to choose grace or law? Are we going to choose fear or trust? That's three weeks now. We've had this conversation on relationships. And again, looking at relationships through the lens of singleness. And then we also said one more thing. We said, for those of you who are married, this is not a series for you to check out on. Instead, we wanted to have you consider, if you're married over the course of this series, to, to meditate on what is being taught with this consideration in mind. That maybe the reason why you're struggling in marriage today is because you didn't resolve things in your season of singleness that needed to get resolved. And you brought that unresolvedness into marriage, and that is at the core of a lot of the problems you're working through today. And if that's true, then let's unmask them now 
and then deal with them together as husband and wife in covenant. Three weeks, that's where we've been. And now this is the last one. We're going to wrap up our series today. And before we dive in, I want to remind you all, this is an awakened Q&A teaching. So that means over the course of this series in particular, if there are any questions, comments, or thoughts that you might have based on what I'll be sharing with you this morning, feel free to go ahead and text your question, comment, or thought to awakenqna at gmail.com, and I'll plan to have a few minutes to tackle them at the end of the teaching time. So with that in mind, let's dive in to this morning's slow fade to ghosted. Slow fade to ghosted. So we started this uh, series on singleness. We made our way to relationship, and now I guess we're coming back to singleness. So that's kind of how we come around full circle. But the question we're going to address today is, what do we do when relationship ends? What do we do when relationship ends? I don't even need to ask, do I? How many of you have ever faced or experienced the painful end of a relationship? Because I would think most of us, if not all of us, have in some way, shape, or form. It might have been a dating relationship. Hopefully it wasn't, but it might have been marriage as well. Maybe it was the end of a friendship, a really close one. Maybe it was the end of a close partnership. Maybe it was the end of a relationship with a relative. And maybe most tragically of all, it was a relationship that didn't end by choice, but was ended by death. How many of you experienced a painful end to a treasured relationship? Relationships do come to an end. It's a part of life. And that end, many times, doesn't, we don't look back at it and think, oh, that was a good end. In our woke culture, we have a way that we describe oftentimes relationships that come to bad ends. I want to throw a couple words at you that kind of depict some of that. Ghosted is a word that's used oftentimes today that describes what happens when someone you care about in a relationship disappears from contact without any explanation at all. That's being ghosted. Out of curiosity, do you know by that definition that it's someone I'm in a relationship with, in a close relationship with, and all of a sudden I just don't hear anything about from them anymore? So do you know how many millennials, 18 to 33-year-old, how many millennials today, percentage-wise, would say at some point in time in their life they've been ghosted by either someone they dated or a friend? Want to guess what percentage that would be? Take a shot. 23, 32. Did someone say 100%? Come on. Wow. It's actually 80%. That's pretty, uh, pretty, 80% of millennials today have been ghosted in someone, some way, shape, or form because no one ever taught them the right way to end a relationship, right? Slow fade is a little bit different. Slow fade is, a, uh, is the idea of what happens when your partner slowly goes, gets less and less um, involved in your relationship. They just kind of slowly drift out until it eventually ends. It's not ghosting, but honestly, for those who've gone through the slow fade, it might be preferable if you just ghosted me and ended the torture, right? But instead, you've left me for months and months trying to figure out what is going on here. I feel this distance between us, and I'm not sure why. And I'm not sure if it's intentional. I just don't know what, ha what is happening. Again, ghosting, slow fade. This is what happens when it reveals to us that too many people in our culture today don't know how the end of a relationship is supposed to look. And when we resort to things like ghosting and slow fade, it just shows that they're either too ill-mannered, right, 
or lazy to properly end a relationship, or we've just never been taught the right way to do it. So I want to take some time this morning to bring some clarity. And this morning, I want to just simply tackle two questions. Two questions I want to hit, right? One, how do I know when I should end a relationship? And two, how should I respond when a close relationship ends? Two questions. How do I know when I should end a relationship? And then how should I respond to a relationship that ends? So we'll start the first one. Uh, How do I know when I should end a relationship? I'll start with the simple answer. Uh, When the relationship is bad for you. So I want you all to imagine that, uh, oh, I don't know, it's some hot day. Um, You're spending some hot summer day in some gloriously overheated state, like, you know, Florida. And so you've been working outside for an extended period of time, and you've just been sweating through your shirt, your clothes, the whole nine yards, and you're dying of thirst. And then magically in front of you, a friend brings out, or you see on a table, this nice, tall, cool glass of water. And being parched, you march right over there, and just as you reach out to grab it, someone by the table says, wait, 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 before you drink that, I just want to let you know that it is a tall, cool glass of water, but in it is just one small drop of arsenic. Colorless, tasteless, unspottable, right? Odorless. How many of you would drink it anyway? Yeah, none of us would, right? Because we wouldn't do something like that. Because no matter, we understand no matter how refreshing, how much we might think we need that water right now, no matter how cool and how good it looks, it is not worth dying for. And yet, how many of you all tolerate poisonous relationships in your life? Poisonous friendships, maybe even poisonous relatives, right? And the way we justify it is saying, well, it's not all bad. I mean, there's good parts to it. And sometimes it feels good to be in this relationship. But it's killing us inside. In 1 Corinthians, Paul warns the church about poisonous people and uh, people who are teaching lies about God, specifically in this context, and lies about the resurrection in order to justify the way they want to live. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm not giving you the whole context, but here's what Paul shares. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. Bad company corrupts good character. Poisonous people will lead us to compromise and kill us inside. So the question, right? How do I know if my relationship is poisonous, if it hurts, and if it consistently bears bad fruit? That's how you know if your relationship is poisonous. And if you are the type of person where I find, you know, I get into these relationships, I get out of them, but over and over and over again, I tend to find my life inhabited by these same type of poisonous people, then may I just graciously, as your brother and friend, just say, you know, it might be a good idea to take a step back and take a look at your life before diving into another poisonous relationship. Because you're the common denominator. Continuing on to Paul. Was that last part unnecessary? It was probably unnecessary. (laughs) Sorry. 
continuing on in another letter to the same church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, the Lord shares, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship is light with darkness. So for those of you who don't know, this a yoke is this wooden bar that uh, ties together these two oxen and the two oxen to this burden that they carry that they're pulling, right? So it's this wooden bar that connects the two. Well, here's the problem. When you, when you put two oxen onto a yoke, they need to be about equal. Because if you have one that's much stronger and an ox that's much weaker, or you have an ox that's much taller and you have an ox that's much shorter, then what happens is when you yoke the two together, they won't be able to pull straight. Because the weaker one won't be able to pull as much, and they're also going to be, like, walking a little slower. And so what happens is the, the strong one keeps pulling, and they start going in a circle if you give them far enough to go, right? Two uh, unequally yoked oxen cannot work together. And that is the analogy that God chooses to use when he's illustrating why Christians should not be in intimate relationship with non Christians. I'm not talking about your friendships at school, at work, whatever the case may be. That's not the conversation here. We're talking about intimate relationships that require you to pull together. That's dating relationships. That's certain intimate partnerships. That's marriage. Any intimate relationship that requires for you to pull together, you should honor what God says here. So how do I know when I should end a relationship? If that relationship is poisonous, if it's causing you harm and causing you to compromise godly character, then you should consider strongly ending it. If you are unequally yoked and in a relationship where you're required to work together with intimacy, then you should consider ending it. And if both of these are true, I don't know what we're even talking about right now. One more verse before we move on to the next question in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12 verse 1, it says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Have you read this passage? You, have you taken a close look of what it's saying here? What God is sharing here? What he's telling you is, look, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin. You know what that means? It means sin is not the only weight that we can carry that will slow us down and can trip us up and can keep us from running the race with endurance. There are other things in life that don't fall in that sin category that can serve as weights burdens that we carry that slow us down, including and especially maybe our relationships. So if you have an intimate relationship that is weighing you down and keeping you from being able to run with endurance, this race God has set before you, then the charge given here is to strip it out of your life. Second, how should I respond? How do I react to a relationship that ends painfully? Most people uh, would say the answer to this question is time. Time is the solution for how we respond to the ending of 
a relationship. The problem with that is that time doesn't really solve anything. Time is just a form of measurement. It's not a solution to loss. When a relationship ends, time is not a solution. Grief is. Grief is the way God has given us to respond to loss. So can I share a few ways that we respond in grief? The first, grief means that we understand that broken relationships are a part of life and they are supposed to hurt. Broken relationships are a part of this life and it's supposed to hurt. So the way that we started this morning is we said relationships end. That's not a surprise to anyone here. Broken relationships are a part of life, and they happen to everyone. Even God experienced broken relationship. It's a part of the first story in the Bible. Adam and Eve chose to defy God. They sinned, and they created a separation between themselves and God. They broke their relationship with God. They broke God's heart, and they created a separation that has yet to be fully healed. When a close relationship ends, there's always pain. Pain might not be the only emotion. Uh, Sometimes there's a sense of relief. Uh, Sometimes there's disappointment. Uh, Oftentimes there's anger. But when a meaningful, important relationship ends, there is hurt and there is pain. And in that pain and hurt, God's, our godly response is grief. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, uh, the author shared, the wisest man who lived, said, For everything there is a reason, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Grieving is a natural part of life that happens within the rhythm of flow of living this life that God has called us to. And if we don't let grief out in healthy ways, then we will act it out in unhealthy ways ways. That's inevitable. And when we talk about acting it out in unhealthy ways, oftentimes the way that looks is through either repression or suppression. You guys know what those words mean? Repression and suppression? Repression is what happens when we deny having negative feelings. They're not there. No, 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 no. It's the, the, no, 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 I'm really, I'm okay. I'm good. Really. I'm good. Right? That's the repression. That's the denial part, right? The problem is that we aren't made for denial. So when you engage in repression long enough, what you inevitably experience is anger and depression, right? It's just anger. You start turning that stuff inward because you're saying it doesn't exist when it really does, and you just find another way of dealing with it. That's repression. Suppression, on the other hand, is I am intentionally and consciously blocking negative things from my life. That's kind of, it happens sometimes we stuff our emotions, we block out negative, but it's with intent. I just don't want to deal with that. For both repression and suppression, I want to share with you something God says. Psalm 39, verse 2. It says, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. That's what the psalmist is saying is, you know, I was going through some bad things, and I just chose to keep quiet about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I just kind of buried it down so much so that I even stopped doing the good, some of the good things that I used to do. 
And what happened? My sorrow only grew worse. When you deny, when you stuff, your grief doesn't go away, it just grows worse. And the reason for that is God has designed a way for us to go through the hurt and pain of broken relationships. And when we don't go through it God's way, we're going to experience the consequences of trying to tackle it on our own or on the wrong way, right? We don't, if we don't go through grief, we end up getting stuck emotionally. And that's not a very helpful place to be. This is why when we talk about grief, we talk about going through grief, right? We don't go over grief. You don't go around grief. You don't hide under grief. You go through grief. That's the way God designed it. You know what's really cool? As Christians, here's what else God has promised. He says that you will never go through grief alone. Right? I am with you. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet shares this cool prophecy about Jesus looking ahead to Christ. In Isaiah 61, verse 2 and 3, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. God gives favor to those who mourn. At the right time, God will replace your grief with joy, your despair with praise, your um, lost foundation with a firm foundation. And not only does the Lord promise that he will mourn with you, but he says, I've also given you the body, the church, people who will come alongside you as well. Romans 12 shares a number of passages on this. It says, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Here, Paul's talking about that we are connected right? This is what God says. We're all part of one body. Jesus is the head. And then he says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Lord's like, hey, this is how you're to respond to people in pain. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. God has designed grief to launch a process of healing to restore you after relationship has been broken and after relationship has been lost. And God has set up a system by which I want to comfort you and let you know that you will never go through that grief alone. The Lord will always be with you and the church comes alongside. And finally, we can have the hope of knowing that however deep, however great our grief might be, it is not in vain and it will not last forever. 2 Corinthians 4, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And you start wrapping up. I don't know where my time went, but I'm uh, eager to spend the rest of our time in Q&A. And uh, so if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, go ahead and text them to awakenqna at gmail.com, and I'll tackle them in just a minute. And as you're sending those in, here's how I want to close. So I, uh, relationships are really important. 
It is actually the way God has chosen to engage with us. You realize God didn't have to choose this way. There are many religions. You can just look around at other religions and other faiths, and God is someone, something we worship, an object. It's nature that's in its beauty. God could have been stars that we look at and admire from far away. God chose to engage with us via relationship. And not as a figure, not as a figurehead, not as a symbol, not as an object. God shows relationship. And as a result, relationship with our Lord and God is not only important, but it's, it's a reflection of how we engage with him and with one another. In fact, you could take the story of the Bible, and the entire story of the Bible is bound around this idea of relationship. That it begins with relationship in the garden, sin entered, breaking that relationship. Repentance, redemption, reconciliation, and then back to relationship. That's not only the story of the scriptures. That's not only the story of relationship between God and us. It's the gospel, is it not? The gospel begins with relationship. God loved us and created us in his image. It was broken by sin, not just Adam and Eve, but ours. We have chosen to break that relationship. And God's call to us has been through the Old Testament and New all the way through to today. Repent. Turn. And then redemption. God says, I have given you a way. That that repentance now becomes effectual in in rebinding what has been broken through Christ. And then for those who believe there is reconciliation. What was once broken is now made right made new and then now we're given this renewed relationship with god which we will celebrate and enjoy for all eternity that being said even though relationships this theme is woven throughout the scriptures relationships aren't easy they're not easy for anyone they're not even easy for god can you imagine we cannot fathom how many times we have grieved god's spirit we cannot imagine how much it cost the Lord to send his only begotten son. We cannot comprehend how patient God is towards us because he doesn't want any of us to perish. And that perspective is exactly why we've chosen to go through these, this series looking through the eyes that we've chosen to look through, right? To view relationships differently over the course of this series. Because all too often when we think about and talk about relationships, we get fixated on relationship status. And that's not necessarily where God wants our eyes fixed. Every relationship we have in this life is simply practice for the relationships that we will have in the kingdom. And it's with this in mind I want to close out with these words and we'll tackle Q&A tonight. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen? All right, let me tackle Q&A. And then I'll go and apologize to the kids' ministry. Oh, I'm running slow. Ah, sorry, I'm not picking up. Give me a second. Oh, my goodness, you guys. All right, we're going to run through these as fast as we can. You said you were dancing your heart out back here during worship. Whatever. I was dancing, all right? You don't need to, to question that. What does the Bible? It was on the inside. It was on the inside. 
What does the Bible say about widows and widowers? Um, oh, man. Uh, it says a number of things. It talks about how the church is a responsibility to care for them. Um, and, I, and I do think that's, that's important, right? Because it talks about the children of widows and widowers to be caring for them. If they don't have children, then they're to be cared for by the church. If they're young widows or widowers, then they should get, they have the opportunity to get married again. But if they choose not to, so much the better. Devote yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. So the scriptures teach care for them and love them well. How do you save the relationship if you're going through a slow phase? How do you save the relationship if you're going through a slow phase? Gosh, that's a great question. It depends also, right, if we're talking about dating or if we're talking about marriage. Um, and if you're the fader or you're the one being faded. Uh, so given all those different contexts, context, I'd say... I think it always, relationship always begins with honesty. Uh, so if you're the one being faded, just say, hey, uh, hey, Gisela. Totally hypothetical, right? So, hey, Gisela. Um, I notice that we don't seem to be connecting the same way that we used to. Um, I kind of feel like you're pulling or you're drifting away. I just want to start a conversation and say, what's going on? Is it something I've done? Is it something that you're feeling? Um, what's happening here? And just start a conversation. Honestly, honesty and building that bridge is the first place to go. If you're the one doing the fading, then I'd say the, make a decision. They don't deserve that. Okay? Make a decision. Either say that I'm going to commit and move forward uh, or I'm going to be out. And if it's marriage, then you're in it for life. This is covenant and uh, fix it. Get help if you need to, but uh, you don't have the option to get out. How do you end a relationship with someone who's constantly hurting you and is constantly being hurt by you, but they do not want to just end it? End a relationship with someone who's constantly hurting you and is being hurt by you, but they don't want to just end it. Okay, so, so let's start this way. Every relationship is going to bring with it blessing and a little bit of pain. Uh, right, so I'm not talking about that. Uh, every relationship is going to have bad moment, bad times. Uh, we offend each other, we hurt each other. That's not poison. That doesn't kill you. That's just part of the natural cycle of how relationships work and the way God refines us and sharpens us through relationship. Poison is there is a deliberate intent. Um, there is harm involved. There is damage being. There is compromise in our character. And if that's what's happening in your relationship, then I do think, yeah, you take the initiative and end it. Do it the right way, but end it. How do you end? I'm sorry, that was the question. How do you end it? Um, be clear. Address it quickly. Um, I think uh, be gracious and trust the Lord through the process. Without more context, it's difficult for me to answer Anyway, that, and of course, I'm talking about any non-marriage relationship in this group. So, we come back. Um, what should you do if you'd have allowed some relationships to go through a slow fade where you feel drained by loving them? I know, right? So, maybe friends struggling with insecurity or mental illness that you want to love but feel worn out 
spending time with them and loving them and even uncomfortable. I don't know how you text that so fast, but you got it in here. That's a lot of words. Um, basically, the question you're asking is, how do I love someone? What should I do if I've got a relationship that is uh, that I get drained by in loving them? Uh, you should probably ask my family because they have to deal with that in me all the time. Um, man, oh, look, we're out of time. I... Uh, <laughs> That's a great question. Man, I, I'd say honestly, we probably have to have a sit down and, and walk through in more depth. I don't know if I can answer this really generally. Um, I feel like, uh, because you, I want to take steps through this process, right? So I'll, if I'm having that situation, I'm counseling someone and working through it, I want to begin with understanding, well, what's the nature of your relationship? I think that's important. Uh, what is it that's draining? Uh, and to be able to tie and connect it to something about you or something about them there's some, there's some of us who the reason why relationships are draining is just because we're impatient and we want them to get fixed right now and for them to do what we say. And then I'm like kind of, well, okay, it might be a bit draining, but that's probably more you than them, right? And I think, so I, I don't know how to answer this uh, accurately. So anyway, oh my gosh, there's like 12 more in here. What are you doing? I'm going to have to wrap up. And uh, man, I was trying to give more time for this. How do you know when to grieve for a broken relationship and when to work to repair it, especially with family? Is there any instance where one should try to fix a toxic relationship by setting boundaries rather than completely ending it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I'll clarify. Um, I think uh, it is possible to have a loose relationship with someone that isn't necessarily good for us. We just set appropriate boundaries and we don't allow them to, to get into the place where they can cause a lot of damage. I don't think that was what I was referring to earlier. I think the idea that I'm referring to earlier is poisonous means that they, you have given them the space in your life to be able to cause harm and create compromise. Um, and so if you have someone who is there and the idea is, well, I'm kind of stuck with them or I'm not necessarily looking to go for a full break, then I would say, sure, absolutely. Set some really, really clear boundaries and push them out of that intimate space and into a space where we can engage, but you're not going to have that type of effect on my life. I think that's entirely appropriate. So that's how I would interpret what you would say here. How to do it, again, man, generally speaking, it's a, it's a bit of a, a challenge. I do think uh, uh, having, a sit down, having, a, um, having a conversation with the Lord, saying, God, where's my heart here? Having a conversation uh, about with yourself, right? Uh, what are the boundaries that need to be set that will guard my life and my heart? Um, and even my mind, right? From thinking negatively or poorly of this person and then a conversation with the other person and saying, hey, you know what? I really appreciate our friendship. Or if it's a relative, let's just go with a relative. Um, hey, Perry, hypothetical, not really, maybe. So, uh, hey, Perry, I want to let you know, brother, I love you. Um, you're going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life, a part of my kids' lives, the rest of their lives. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes we sit down and we have conversations and we talk about things. And man, my place, my heart, my mind goes to a real negative place after we talk. And uh, I feel like I've addressed it multiple times. I feel like we just haven't been able to get past this. And so I just want to say, hey, I love you, but I'm just going to have to set some boundaries here. 
Um, love to have you come over and visit, but when you come over and visit, it's like a day. That's about all our family can really handle. We want to say that lovingly, right? Love to have phone conversations with you. But man, during those phone conversations, if I feel like you're attacking me or you're speaking to me in a way that's inappropriate, then I'm going to need to hang up on you. And I just want to give you a heads up. I'll give you a warning before I do. But brother, I love you. I want to stay connected. But the way things have been going just can't continue that way. And so in love, I just want to tell you that we've had this conversation multiple times. And this is where I'm at. And uh, we're, so does that make sense? All right. Brothers and sisters, I need to wrap up out of respect. And uh, so let me close us out in a word of prayer. And I want to thank you all for uh, being a part of this series and engaging the way that you guys have. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time. I thank you for the saints. I thank you for the joy and blessing of knowing that we are part of a community under your authority, under your leading, under your shepherding, God. That, uh, Lord, you are the one who guides us through these relationships and that we have. And, Lord, I pray for your wisdom and your spirit and your love. And, God, for us to be able to uh, live out our faith in real and practical and meaningful ways through the context, through different relationships, um, in a way that honors and pleases you. And God, to learn from them. God, to realize that every relationship we have, the way we go through them, it's just, it's just training. It's an opportunity to learn better here what we will someday experience fully with you in your presence. And uh, Lord, just pray for tremendous grace and I pray for wisdom. And uh, Lord, we just love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you've done on our behalf and all the ways you're continuing to live and work through us, God. We love you, praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank